Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Together, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up. Because we love to open up the scriptures here at All Saints, don't we? We want to be a rooted and empowered people. Rooted in the scriptures, rooted in the history of the church, knowing our family background, our family roots, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're a vineyard church now, right? So rooted and empowered is key for us. So last Sunday, some of you may have gotten over last Sunday, the Ananias and Sapphira story. We looked at the fear of the Lord and miracles and the fear of the Lord was kind of a touchy subject, wasn't it? Heard from a number of you, though, you liked hearing about the fear of the Lord, a rather neglected topic, and we looked at many things, but really we saw that God's presence brings a holy reverence, doesn't it? And it's just such a neglected idea that God is holy and awesome and not to be taken lightly. And we reiterated that God is loving and merciful and compassionate. All of that is true, but we were looking at the biblical fact that God is holy and that he shares his holiness with us and that we should live securely in his love, but at the same time realize that each of us will stand before him one day and give account. The Apostle Paul says that we'll give account for our deeds in the body. And if we're Christians, then that's just sobering and inspiring. If we're not Christians, then we should be. And the fear of the Lord should strike all of us deeply in the heart and awaken, awaken us. Amen? So before I re-preach that, we're going to look at Acts 5, 17 to 42. And we're going to read the whole section, and we're going to be looking at today not just two apostles, but the whole lot of them get arrested again. And there's a miraculous release. And then we find them at the end of this chapter rejoicing in their suffering. And friends, I I hope that this book continues to just go to work on us week after week, showing us the Lord's desire for his church, for us, and what he calls us to be and what he empowers us to be. And this is pretty amazing. It's an amazing story here, and we're going to read the whole thing, beginning at 5, chapter 5, verse 17 through 42. So we're training ourselves to be attentive to God's word as it's read aloud. As Paul said, Timothy, don't neglect the public reading of scripture. So we're trying to give ourselves to that more and more. So Lord, as we read your word, we ask for the work of the Holy Spirit who illumines our minds and transforms our hearts and empowers us to live what we read here. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet freely 
and to read your word and to learn from Holy Scripture. What an honor, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 5, 17 to 42. And we'll dig into this text here. So then the high priest took action. And what we had seen in the preceding verses was that even though the council had said, I'm saying this, I'm not reading it, obviously, just a little setup here. The high priest, the Sanhedrin, the council said, hey, shut up. Quit spreading the name of Jesus and quit healing in his name and they wouldn't stop. So here we are at verse 17. Then the high priest took action. He and all who were with him, that is the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. When the high priest and those with him arrived, they called together the council and the whole body of the elders of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed about them, wondering what might be going on. Then someone arrived and announced, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the temple police and brought them, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. 
and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Friends, this is the word of God. Amen. Man, that's good stuff. There's a reason we're supposed to read scripture regularly, train our minds to, to hear it and meditate on it even together. So let's look at the first few verses here. Verses 17 through 18 talks about the beginning of this imprisonment and release. And we've encountered the Sadducees before, haven't we? Do you remember a little bit about them? The more kind of aristocratic, upper-class group that collaborated with Rome. Some people would say they sold out to Israel, to Rome. They were very political. And ironically, they did not believe in the resurrection or angels. Interesting note. God has a sense of humor as this story unfolds, huh? Because resurrection and angels factor in to this text here. And their chief opponents in the book of Acts, if you remember in the Gospels, it was who that was regularly hassling Jesus. It was the Pharisees. And now here at Switch, the Sadducees are the ones who are filled with jealousy and anger and they're trying to shut down the apostolic church. Verse 17 says they're motivated by jealousy. They're filled with jealousy. This word filling is important, isn't it? We keep seeing it in these five chapters. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw Ananias and Sapphira. They were filled with a lying spirit. And now here, the Sadducees are filled with jealousy. It's what motivates them. It's what leads them. And the apostles at verse 18, look here, they're arrested and imprisoned This is kind of like in chapter 4, where it was Peter and John arrested, but here it's not just those two, but it's the whole lot, the whole band of the apostles. And this time, they're thrown into a public prison. It was a public act, probably not a very nice place to be. And an angel of the Lord shows up at verse 19 and brings a miraculous escape in the face of the very people who don't believe in angels, the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to send an angel to deliver these guys. Who is the angel of the Lord? You familiar with that concept? That idea, if you've read much of the Old Testament, you hear about the angel of the Lord. It's an Old Testament concept and figure, and it's basically an extension of God himself in a physical manifestation to human beings. It's also in the New Testament. We'll see it multiple times in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8 and chapter 12, the angel of the Lord will 
show up. And the text doesn't really show us more than that. It's just an angel sent by God who carries the name of God and does the work of God, even though the Sadducees don't believe in angels. Here one is opening the prison doors. Look at verses 20 through 21. This angel opens the prison doors, brings them out, and says, be good boys and go back into prison. Is that what the text says? No. Commissioned them, go again, stand in the temple, and tell the people the whole message. And look at that at verse 20, about this life. What a beautiful phrase. Go and tell them the message about this life. Probably referring to the life of Jesus, the life that Jesus brings, the resurrection life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's the words that the angel uses. Go and tell them about this life. And friends, we're seeing in these chapters that they had a way of life, didn't they? They had a way of living that's modeling for us. They were all in. They were completely consumed with the person of Jesus and the life he lived and the life he brings. And now they're told, after being freed physically from prison and spiritually from prison, even these apostles, they're commissioned to go and tell everyone about it. Now, just to make sure we're not looking at a history book, right? Because some people read the book of Acts. I was listening to some and reading some because I try to listen to a variety of voices on this. And some people say the book of Acts is awesome church history. But after the first century, God quit doing these things. And I'm thinking, what book are you reading? I just can't find it anywhere. And so I want to bring modern contemporary examples where God continues to do what's in the book. And some of you have read this, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. And he came and visited here about seven years ago. He was supposed to come again and share his testimony, but COVID interrupted. But the Lightfoots, I think, are going to reach out to him again. We're talking about that this morning, having him come to share his story. But he has a modern day, 1997 story that parallels what we're reading here in Acts 5. You want to hear it? I encourage you, if you've not read this book, read it and prepare yourself to be rocked and changed. I think maybe we have a copy or two in the resource center out there. But essentially what happens here, Brother Yoon is in prison, 1997. He's been arrested multiple times. This time he's thrown in prison and the guards take steel batons and beat his legs so he can't walk. He's literally bleeding and bruised and has to prop his legs up at night. He can't function. And a, a fellow Christian of his has to carry him around for six weeks because he can't move. And in the midst of his depression, the Lord says, I'm going to release you. And he's a man of faith. So he's like, excuse me, Lord, I can't walk. And there's five iron gates with two guards at each gate. And this is the Zhengzhou prison, the maximum security prison from which no one has ever escaped. And the Lord starts speaking to him saying, I'm going to set you free. 
And then the same day that the Lord spoke to him from the scriptures, from Hebrews 10 and Jeremiah 15, another prisoner came, a Christian, and said, the Lord has told me he's going to set you free. And he said, well, I can't walk. So here we are in the story, page 256. He finds himself walking, which while it's happening, he said, I haven't walked in six weeks, so the Lord is healing me in this process. He's made it through multiple gates so far, and he's about to pass through the third gate. He's on the third floor of the prison. Basically, there's no possible way for this to happen. There's a gate with two armed guards at each one. He's at the third one. So here we are. I'm walking. I notice a broom leaning against the wall in a stairwell. I picked up the broom and continued walking with it down the stairs to the second floor. An armed guard was positioned at his desk facing the second iron gate. That gate was sometimes left open because an on-duty guard was assigned to watch the gate day and night. It wasn't considered a risk to leave it unlocked. At that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Go now. The God of Peter is your God. Somehow, the Lord seemed to blind that particular guard. He was staring directly at me, yet his eyes did not acknowledge my presence. I expected him to say something, but he just stared right through me as if I was invisible. He didn't say a word. I continued past him and didn't look back. I'm sweating. This is riveting. I knew I could be shot in the back at any moment. I continued to silently ask the Lord to be ready to receive my spirit, thinking these moments were to be my last in this world. I continued walking down the stairs, but nobody stopped me, and none of the guards said a word to me. When I arrived at the main iron gate leading out to the courtyard, I discovered it was already open. This was strange, as it was usually the most secure gate of all five. There were normally two guards stationed at the first floor gate, one on the inside and one on the outside. But for some reason, neither of the guards was present and the gate was open. I discarded the broom I had carried with me from the third floor and walked into the courtyard. The bright morning light made me wince. I walked past several guards in the yard, but no one said a word to me. I then strolled through the main gate of the prison, which for some strange reason was also standing open. My heart was pounding. I was now standing on the street outside the Zhengzhou prison number one maximum security. I was told later that no one had ever escaped from that prison before. Immediately, a small yellow taxi pulled up next to me, and the driver, a man in his late 20s, opened the passenger door and said, where are you heading? I got in and replied, I need to go to my office as quickly as possible, so please drive fast. Friends, this is astounding. The God of Peter, continues to deliver and rescue people miraculously. That is unexplainable. Gates open, people seeing right through him. He couldn't walk, 
And yet the Lord, in his miracle-working power and providence and care, sprung him out of a maximum security prison. It happened in the first century, and it happens when the Lord chooses to do that. Amen? Read the book. But we'll see in the book of Acts, and we're careful to look at the whole counsel of this book and the whole counsel of Scripture, the Lord doesn't always spring his people from prison. Sometimes they're even put to death. We'll see in chapter 12 that just a few chapters later, James, the brother of John, is killed with a sword. Peter is released again miraculously in chapter 12, but then he goes on to be martyred, doesn't he? The apostle Paul remains in prison, as we'll see in the book of Acts, chapters 24 to 26, and also is eventually martyred. These people in the book of Acts and Brother Yoon were so filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Something had gotten a hold of them. The love of God, the grace of God, the resurrection power of Jesus, and they could not be stopped. You see it? Unstoppable. As I was looking at this, I was thinking some of us may not face prison. Some of us have been in jail or prison. Some of us may go one day, but for some of us, this might just be out of our purview. But looking at this from a different angle, okay? Kind of metaphorically looking at this, some of you may feel imprisoned in a situation. You're praying, Lord, when do you deliver me? When do I get rescued? When do you let me out of the prison that I'm in? Some of you have been stuck in a place for months or years, and this is your prayer. Why can't I get out of this? You set them free from a physical prison. Can't you set me free from the spiritual prison? But what if the Lord is at work in you in ways that you can't see? What if, like Joseph, you remember Joseph in Genesis 40, he had all of these promises. The Lord had spoken directly to him, including dreams, and he carried these things in his heart, and yet he found himself in prison. And the scriptures say, Psalm 105 says, the word of the Lord tested him while he was in prison. So friends, some of us may be in a prison and you're being tested. Some might say, well, that sounds kind of cruel. The Lord's ways are not our ways. He sees. He knows. He's all-knowing. He's wise. He's caring. And he may leave you in a particular situation because he's forming Christ in you. He's doing something deep that you can't see. For seven years, Amanda and I, in our spiritual desert, we were like, how long? Deliver us. We're miserable. Really faith-filled prayers, huh? took seven years, and there was no miraculous deliverance or anything like that, but God was at work in us, secretly, quietly, in ways that we could not discern at all. Even in our brokenness and anger, God was at work in us, knowing that it would change us for the rest of our lives. So friends, do you trust God? Do you trust that he knows best, that he may allow you to stay in a situation that's grueling, and if your heart is his, 
and you're doing the best that you can with what you've got in that moment, clinging to him, and maybe it's by a fingernail at times, he's going to take care of you. And the scriptures do not promise that it always ends happy or it always ends the way that we think. We're seeing it's different. And some of us may one day, as we launch out all over the country and all over the world and we live in a post-Christian America, we may face some really tough situations. That's why we're looking at the book of Acts, so that we're prepared. Young people, the Lord wants to prepare you And I keep saying it, but I love you so much that I'm willing to pick passages of Scripture like this and work through it so our young people can be prepared. It burns in my heart. And that's what church is about. Church is not just about coming together and seeing each other and hugging and high-fiving. Church is about being prepared to follow Jesus. Amen? And Jesus and the apostles said it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. But he loves us. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. He's got something tormenting him, the great apostle. And he says, Lord, set me free from this. It's harassing me. It's like a thorn in my flesh. And what does the Lord say to him? My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is perfected in your weakness. And then Paul says, yes, Lord, I will boast of this. I've got an attitude change because the power of Christ is resting on me when I'm weak. Friends, the Lord may reduce you, may reduce me many times to being weak. And can we say that? Lord, I trust you. You are good. Your grace is sufficient. I love you back. Help me. I'm miserable. I'm going to be real about it, but your grace is sufficient. Look at verse 21 here. We get to see their trial again. We don't know how this report was made known. It could be that the Apostle Paul had some inside information because he was connected with the Sanhedrin and he was actually a student of Gamaliel. So it could have been that Paul knew all these details and he shared them with Luke and others, but somehow we have a firsthand account of the deliberation that's happening with this council. It's like the Jewish religious high court, serious business to stand in there. At verse 21, we find that the apostles obeyed the angel's instructions. They were delivered miraculously. They entered the temple at daybreak, probably around 6 a.m. as the sun was coming up a normal time. It's kind of rough for some of us who like to sleep in. They started their day around five or six every time, so they're out there right off the bat teaching and preaching about Jesus and the life that he provides. Verse 21, we saw it. The high priest and his colleagues were not yet aware of the escape, so they sent the temple police. They went and got informed, and they found, they researched quickly and found the guards watching the doors but they were completely confounded on what had happened. The captain and the temple police at verse 26, look at it. They bring the apostles back to the council. Can you imagine what was going on in their minds? We've put them, this has never happened. We take this group of guys, we put them in prison, 
The doors are locked. The guards are still there. And yet they're out at daybreak preaching the name of Jesus. Look at verse 27. The high priest won't even mention the name Jesus. We've seen that he orders them again not to teach in this name. And they're so infuriated and they're seeing the power of the name of Jesus, they won't even mention his name. And they scold them for filling Jerusalem with their teaching. What an honor that would be. Just think if we were able to hear, hey, all saints, you are filling Oklahoma City and Edmond with the teaching about the name of Jesus. The Lord's working miracles in his name. He's saving people, delivering them from demons. Wouldn't that be a high honor? That's what they heard. Their whole city was filled with the teaching of the name of Jesus. Peter, standing in court, religious court again, doesn't cower. Look at verse 29 very quickly here. He stands up and uses that opportunity to preach the gospel to those who are condemning him. Think about it. They've said, hey, zip it. You guys stop with this whole Jesus thing. And Peter says, okay, we won't. And then he stands up and preaches a four-part message, and it's called the kerygma. It's a Greek word that means proclamation. And this is where all our creeds come from, these statements like this. What does he say at verse 29? He says, we must obey God Rather than any human authority, verse 30, he goes into the gospel message again, the God of our ancestors. He's basically saying, your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has raised up Jesus, whom you and your people killed, by hanging him on a cross or a tree. And then look at verse 31 again. We're seeing the apostolic gospel presented over and over again right in the belly of the beast right here. Verse 31, God exalted him, and he is at the right hand of God as Lord and Savior, so that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then look at this. This is lovely at verse 32. We are witnesses of these things. Who else is? Look at verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, but who else? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is witnessing to all of this about Jesus. His suffering, his death, his resurrection. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of fire is witnessing to the gospel. And the apostles are just joining what the Holy Spirit is already doing. The Spirit is the witness. The apostles are the witness. The church today is the witness. Verses 33 through 40 council's decision very quickly here they were so enraged and the word here literally means sawn in two they were so infuriated with these guys that they were torn asunder they were besides themselves they were out of their minds they wanted to stone them and yet this wise seasoned pharisee named Gamaliel comes to the rescue and he stands up Essentially, what does he advise them? Be careful what you do to these men at verse 35. And then he gives historical examples. He names Thutis and Judas. And the point of what Gamaliel is pointing out is both of these guys failed. 
They gathered a few hundred, and there were a, there's a great series of people like Judas and Thutis. They all failed. So Gamaliel was saying, keep your hands off. Let this thing run its course. Because if these guys are actually serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus is in fact the Messiah, we're going to be fighting against God. Now friends, this is interesting here. Why would he say this? Could it be that he was seeing something in this Jesus movement that he knew to be true? The Pharisees had opposed Jesus and aligned themselves with Rome to put him to death. Now we find Gamaliel saying, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. And frankly, I don't think his advice is really that good. Because there are lots of movements, if you think about it, that go on to have great success and they're not of God. Can you think about Hinduism, for example? Worldwide movement, thousands of years, that's not from the Lord. Islam, the same. Aberrant from the Abrahamic traditions. It is not a movement of God. We could come up with contemporary examples. Mormonism, not from God, but successful. So do you see his... Advice is timely and helpful in the moment, but at the same time, Gamaliel's wisdom is limited. Let's end with this here, verses 40 through 42. This blows the circuits. Our third word here, they rejoice, and then they continue their ministry. Look at verse 41. As they are leaving the council, standing before the Sanhedrin, They're rejoicing. Why? What's the text say? Considered worthy to suffer. I don't know about you, but I'm usually the opposite of that. Why am I suffering? Why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? Anybody else? Am I the only one? Okay. All right. We got one other. Any other takers? Friends, the Lord wants to rewire our thinking. What a privilege it is to suffer for Jesus. That's why we read the word. It goes to work on us. The Lord wants to transform our thinking. And again, they were suffering physically in the face of martyrdom, being told, don't talk about Jesus. And yet here they are rejoicing, finding joy, They're delighted. They're thinking, thank you, Lord, for counting me worthy to suffer for your name. Thank you that I get to share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus, like Paul talks about. I aspire to this. I'm not there yet. I'm still complaining about some of the small suffering that I'm going through, but I read this in the word, and I believe that God can take someone like me, can take people like us, and we can actually rejoice in suffering for the gospel. Is that something you would want? (laughs) Some of you are like, no. When's the all-church lunch? (laughs) I get it. I get it, friends. Most people, most sane human beings don't go, give me the suffering. Bring it on. And that's really not what we're talking about. We're not talking about kind of sick, Christian, masochistic thinking. We're talking about living life for Jesus, letting people know, praying for the sick, living like 
he modeled for us to live. And when hard things come, we go, Lord, I want joy. Would you fill my heart with joy? Not very joyful right now because, friends, we may face times where this stuff becomes really pertinent. Maybe not, but maybe. So it's why we look at texts like this. So that the Lord can fill us with the same spirit that filled them. And look how it ends at verse 42. Every day in the temple, so in the public place of discourse, and it literally means from home to home. So they were meeting in one another's homes. They did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Let's stand. Worship team can come up. Lord, what do we say? We can sneeze, amen. What's amazing about this, and I'm still praying, Lord, is you took people who were faithless, who turned their backs on you, who were pretty pathetic at times, calling down fire from heaven. I mean, you took a rough group of people and you just persisted with them and you do the same with us. And so we ask, Lord, whatever was in the early church that we're seeing, that we're learning about, you would put that same fire in us from the youngest to the oldest. Lord, I pray especially for the young people today that you would put fire in their hearts and you would put steel in their backbones. That they would choose even today, I am going to live for Jesus no matter what. Friends, let's just take a minute here. Why don't you tell the Lord that? If that's in your heart or maybe you want it to be, Lord, I want what they had and I want fire, I want boldness and I want steel. Let's just take a moment and ask him. Under your breath, you can pray and then we'll come back and worship.